Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 17 of the Rattle Podcast. As always, my name is Jesse Friedman alongside Jeff Weiser, my co-host here on the Rattle Podcast. And Jeff, a trade has gone down. We wondered uh, a few weeks ago if the Diamondbacks had anything left in store after the Bumgarner move, the Cole Calhoun move. It seemed like things were maybe fading to an end uh, as the Diamondbacks offseason wore on, but they have struck once again the latest news is that the Diamondbacks have acquired outfielder Starling Marte and $1.5 million in cash from the Pittsburgh Pirates in exchange for two prospects, Leover Proguero, who's a shortstop uh, with the Diamondbacks' low-A system right now, as well as Brennan Malone, who's also a right-handed pitcher uh, in the lower single-A division of the Diamondbacks' farm system. Uh, The Diamondbacks also sent over $250,000 in international signing bonus pool money in the deal. Jeff, this is our this is our big news. Probably Madison Bumgarner and this trade right here. Those are the highlights of the offseason. Now that the Diamondbacks seem to have spent all the money they had available, I think it's very possible this is their team going into 2020. Jeff, what do you think of this trade? And what what are the Diamondbacks? What's their outlook going into this season after this move? Yeah, I mean, this one definitely um was kind of on, I think, our internal radar and just kind of seemed like a fit, you know, um, from a distance all winter long. And it just, uh, you know, maybe felt like it was the one thing that 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 looked good on paper, but just wasn't going to happen. Um, and then the news broke yesterday. So um, it's definitely a bold move. You know, the, the two guys that uh, the Diamondbacks gave up in Paguero uh, and Malone are both um, – you know, high upside teenagers. Uh, Paguero has been comp to, you know, kind of a, the Gene Segura type. Um, I did get to see him play in Hillsborough a little bit last year. Um, a guy that plays hard, uh, not, not physically imposing, uh, but stronger than he is big. Um, and, and certainly looks like he's going to, he's going to stick up the middle. Uh, really impressive young kid who's, who's gained a lot of traction. Um, and then Malone obviously was a first rounder. I think he was the 33rd overall pick here, yep. uh, last June. Um, you know, uh, a, a more physically mature type of pitcher for a high school guy. Um, he's not probably, you know, as projectable as you would, as you would think for, for most high school kids. Um, but that means he also currently throws hard, um, and his stuff is pretty good. So, uh, for, for really where he's at on the development spectrum. So, uh, you know, how do I feel about it? You know, honestly, it's a lot to give up. Um, but this is a chance to get a guy, uh, and, you know, plug what was, you know, really kind of a major hole, um, on the big league roster. Sure. Cattell Marte could have, uh, you know, patrolled center field for another year, uh, but they were able to mitigate, you know, any of the, um, injury issues or just kind of, you know, uh, the taxing of the body of playing center field, and move him back to second by by getting Starling Marte. I guarantee I'm going to call them by the wrong name at some point here. Uh, <laughs> we'll see if that happens. But um, man, I'm pumped. I, I really am pumped. This seems like something that that should work. Um, and Mike Hazen made it happen, man. So I'm 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 pretty impressed, and I'm very happy about it. Looking at what the Diamondbacks got in Starling Marte, this is a guy who I actually remember we had this conversation when we were crafting our offseason plan of, you know, is Starling Marte a good trade candidate? It was kind of an obvious fit. Uh, like you mentioned, the Diamondbacks seem to have some prospects. The Pirates obviously looking to rebuild. They had Starling Marte, who's under control for the next two seasons. 
it really seemed like a match, and, and, and the trade finally does go down. Starling Marte last season, 23 home runs, 82 RBIs, uh, 25 stolen bases. I believe he is one of two major leaguers, if I remember correctly, who has stolen 20 or more bases uh, over the last seven consecutive seasons. So Starling Marte is, is probably one of the better base runners in the game, uh, which certainly fits into the Diamondback scheme. They've done a lot of base running over these last several seasons under under Torrey Lovello and, and company. Um, but yeah, he's he's a guy who's probably not a he's not a superstar. He's not uh, you know he's not a, a true middle of the lineup type of hitter. Uh, but what I love about this trade is I think it gives the Diamondbacks a viable leadoff hitter for the first time in in maybe quite a while. Last season we saw them go Cattell Marte in that leadoff spot, and you really wanted to have Cattell Marte up with maybe more guys on base, even though obviously you know wherever Cattell Marte hits, he's he's going to be good. Uh, but I think putting Starling Marte, a guy who doesn't walk a whole lot, but he is really good on the base paths. Uh, last season, he had a three uh, wins above replacement year, according to Fangraphs. Uh, 119 weighted runs created plus. I think all across the board, Starling Marte is just a, a good, solid player. He has a good uh, reputation defensively. And what this does, Jeff, looking at the Diamondbacks lineup as a whole now, you can make the claim that you know, maybe Cattell Marte is the only true uh, superstar on this roster. I think that's probably a fair point. But you look now at every position. You've got David Peralta as your everyday left fielder. You've got Starling Marte in center. You've got Cole Calhoun in right field. The infield, you've got Eduardo Escobar at third, Ahmed at short, Cattell now at second base, Christian Walker over at first. Carson Kelly will presumably get most of the playing time behind the plate. The Diamondbacks may only have one superstar on this team, but they also really don't have any weaknesses. And that's something we have not been able to say about this team for a long time. It's felt like the Diamondbacks really have ridden that middle of the lineup for the last several years. And once you got to the bottom, you didn't really know what you were going to get. That is not the case with this 2020 Diamondbacks club. No, and uh, one last point, Madison Bumgarner can hit a little bit too. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I feel you. I, it's it's a it's a it's a nice spot to be in. Um, you know, and I was thinking about this the other day, and, and it's maybe something I need to to take some time and dig into. But, um, you know, they're gonna the value is really gonna come out of this lineup in the aggregate. Uh, being able to keep guys healthy. Uh, mix and match a little bit. Uh, they do have more flexibility now than they probably ever had, um, at least in, in recent memory. So if a guy or two do go down with injuries at some point, which you know inevitably will happen, um, they seem to be a little bit better positioned to deal with that than they have been uh, in seasons past. So uh, I, I think when you kind of put it all together, it's a team that's not going to give away a lot of at-bats. Um, but at the same time, they don't have a Mike Trout or, or a Cody Bellinger uh, type of guy that, that's just going to like carry the offense at times, unless we think that Cattell Marte, um, you know, is is going to really kind of repeat the performance that he that he put together last year. So hmm. I, I think that's kind of up for up for debate. Um, not to knock him, but just that that obviously he did something that was so uh, outside the norm for his production. Uh, that it's something that we do have to think about. Uh, but still, your point is well taken. I mean, there are just no holes. I mean, we, I think we've talked about it before, but there were times when seven, eight, and nine were just, you know, black holes in the lineup. And it was like, well, you know, there's nothing that's going to happen here. Um, not the case anymore. So uh, 
definitely going to be exciting. Uh, and, and just to kind of see how um, that depth really, I think, piles up, I think it'll be really valuable um, night after night in some ways. But I think it'll be even more valuable, like over 162 games. One last note I want to bring in on the on the Starling Marte trade is just the fact that the Diamondbacks, I think although you you know you certainly paid a, a, a definitely a fair price, I think some people uh, came out and said this was you know highway robbery, this was a complete steal. Uh, looking more at the value, I think Paguero and Malone have high enough ceilings that you probably wouldn't call this this deal a, a steal. I think this is pretty even on both sides. But the Diamondbacks, one luxury that they have now that this farm system is is genuinely good. It's probably a top five system in all of baseball at this point. The Diamondbacks have a lot of right-handed pitchers in, in this system now that they haven't had in the past, and they have a lot of shortstops, namely Geraldo Perdomo, I think first and foremost, mm-hmm. who have exciting futures as well. And this is a luxury the Diamondbacks haven't had before. You can go and get a Starling Marte without you know, seriously mortgaging the future. The Diamondbacks still have pitchers coming up through their system who are exciting. They still have a very promising young shortstop in Geraldo Perdomo who could be ready within the next couple of seasons. You know, it, it's it's a hit, but it's a hit in a completely different way now that the Diamondbacks have this kind of depth. Yeah, it really is. I mean, a move like this in the past would have, you know, frankly dealt a pretty sizable blow um, to the team's farm system, but that's just not the case now. I mean, there's like you mentioned, there's so much more depth there. Um, you know, you have Barsha, you have uh, the three youngsters in the outfield, and Christian Robinson, Corbin Carroll, and Alec Thomas. Um, you know, there's just a whole bunch of guys now that that they can um, look to move some of the uh, maybe the back the back of the top ten, sort of the maybe six through twelve, six through fifteen type prospects. Um, and there's enough depth there that those prospects are act- actually desirable to other teams. So um, it is a luxury. We, you know, the, the ownership seems to be kind of holding the line on what what payroll is going to be. Um, and in my case, and is jumped through some hoops and taking <laughs> Madison Bumgarner with him, uh, you know, to kind of make it all work. But um, the one thing they did have to spend still was uh, some prospect currency and. Uh, they show that they, you know, weren't gun shy to do it if they thought that they could, you know, make the major league team better. And, you know, ultimately, you know, that's what they'll be judged on. Um, and, and that's really the goal, right, is to uh, to win games at the major league level and uh, make that push for the playoffs. Let's go ahead and look at what the Diamondbacks have done this offseason. We're going to go unit by unit here and just talk about how much of the Diamondbacks improved, if at all, in each of the different phases of the game. Let's go ahead and start right where we're talking right now. Let's start with this position player group. Uh, Jeff, I'll go ahead and start out. I'll pass it over to you in a moment. I think looking one through nine at this lineup, as I've as I've talked about, there, there are really no weaknesses. I think there's a lot of exciting depth. I think uh, at the catching position, I think Steven Vogt was a smart move. I think there's a really valuable platoon that could be had there. And I think it, it, it really every position, you, you kind of have the feeling that if the guy in that starting lineup uh, on most days was to get hurt, I think there's enough depth uh, to come through and replace him without a serious drop-off in production. 
And I think that's a, a huge luxury that the Diamondbacks have, especially with all of the players that they have who are versatile. Now you've got Vargas off of the bench. You've got Cattell Marte. Uh, of course, you've got Eduardo Escobar who can bounce around a little bit. Uh, Starling Marte, we heard Tori Lovello say that he'll probably have some time in the outfield corners as well as in center field. There's definitely a lot of a lot of room for moving pieces uh, in this position player core. I would venture to say that might be the Diamondbacks' biggest strength right now, second only to, to potentially their starting rotation. Yeah, and I, one of the other things that I think is is uh, easy to maybe overlook just a little bit, but but none of the position players are, um, you know, offensively, we, you know, it obviously looks quite solid, but none of them defensively are, like, playing out of position. Um, mm. They haven't had to really sacrifice their identity as a, as a strong defending team in order to get these bats in the lineup. So... I think that that um, you know is kind of a is kind of a luxury that they have. Um, you know, no one's really like a black hole defensively. They're not you know trying to you know play a you know defunct uh, first baseman at you know at second base or um, you know running out someone who should be DHing in left field. Um, so so I think that I think that certainly helps. Um, yeah, on the whole, I, I would say this unit definitely has improved. Um, again, I, I don't think it's, you know, it might not show up every single day. It's not going to always look like a massive improvement. Hmm. Um, but overall, I really do think that, that over time it's going to add up and, and turn out to be, you know, uh, a big step in the right direction. Talking about the bench now, it seems like the Diamondbacks, as far as their bench goes, there's not a whole lot of changes. Probably isn't a, a huge talking point. We'll just touch on it briefly. Uh, here, the the biggest source of intrigue with the bench is probably just that Jake Lamb is still here, and he was not among the names that we mentioned in that starting lineup. So it'll be really interesting to see how the Diamondbacks use Jake Lamb. I'm assuming this will give them the opportunity to once and for all maybe just acknowledge that Jake Lamb is truly a you know a righties only type of hitter, and that's just kind of who he is. And I think it's time to maybe just embrace that rather than throwing him up there against lefties on a, on a semi-regular basis. Um, so Jake Lamb poses some intrigue. Tim LaCastro, it'll be interesting. It'll be fun to have him back, see how many times he can get hit by pitches in, in 2020. Ildemaro Vargas, uh, I think, is an intriguing piece. Um, plays a, a solid defense, at least on several different positions. Josh Rojas will will certainly be back with an opportunity to make the club as well. Jeff, do you do you see anything anything else interesting going on on the on the bench side of things? You know, the only thing I think that they could probably still use um, is maybe some right-handed pop. You know, coming off the bench, um, that's the only thing that I kind of see that's missing. Uh, and, and so I expect them to probably kick the tires a little bit on um, some of the older veterans uh, that might still be kind of lingering around in free agency, guys that they can probably bring in on sort of a you know, uh, on a minor league deal with an invite to camp, uh, see how they do and, and see if one of those guys maybe makes a, you know, takes a bench spot. Um, that's about the only thing I can really see that's missing. Uh, LeCastro can play all over the outfield and, and, you know, for what he is, man, he is a fun guy to watch. Um, <laughs> and I've always been an Ildemaro Vargas homer. So I will, I will stick with that. Um, if for nothing else, just the glove work. Um, but yeah, I, I think Lamb probably now at, at this stage, um, with this roster ahead of him and, and given his health and his track record, uh, probably right now, you know, belongs on the bench and see some time at first base, see some time at third. 
um, you know, kind of bounce around in that capacity. So that's probably where it is. If there's anything left to add, it's probably a low key, uh, maybe right-handed bench bat uh, that you're looking at more from an offensive perspective uh, than defensively. Let's move on to the bullpen here. This is maybe the the biggest uh, source of concern from my standpoint for the Diamondbacks moving into 2020. Uh, we were looking at at some of the Diamondbacks bullpen stats from from last season off the air before we before we started recording the show, and it was interesting to find the Diamondbacks were really very middle of the road in just about every category as far as their bullpen was concerned this last season. And theoretically, this bullpen, I think, has certainly gotten better. I, I really, I, I think it'd be hard to make the case that they've that they've gotten any worse. Um, so theoretically, you know, if you go from middle of the road, you make a couple of improvements. Maybe this bullpen could be top twelve, top thirteen next season if if things bend their way. Uh, but Jeff, I I do have to wonder. It seems like there's still some sources of concern here. I wish the Diamondbacks had gone out and gotten uh, another viable late inning option. I still think you're you're counting on Archie Bradley in that closer role uh, pretty much all the way at this point. And I also wonder if uh, what the Diamondbacks would do in the event that Andrew Chafin ever got hurt. <laughs> there's really no backup whatsoever in terms of left-handed relievers go. Jeff, what's what's your take on this bullpen? Yeah, I think you're right on. I mean, I, I think they're, they've made a small improvement. Um, and to carry on, you know, I think that conversation that we were having was just a little bit, you know, recognizing that um, uh, sort of the middle of the pack, the cluster is pretty tight. But when you look to the top uh, of the leaderboard, um, some of those bullpens, you know, at the top of the league are two, two and a half, three times more valuable, uh, more productive if you will, uh, than those sort of middle of the road bullpens. So, I mean, being in the middle of the road, I mean, eh, it's not a total weakness, but it's not really a strength. Um, but when you look at the ground you're giving up on those teams that really have those dominant bullpens, the gap is pretty big. Um, so, so it is, is still a concern. Um, that said, it is the easiest thing for them to address in season. Um, so they're, you know, they can look for a move come, uh, come July or maybe sooner, uh, knock on wood that Andrew Chafin does not ever get hurt um, <laughs> because you're right. There's just, there's really not much in the way of uh, depth at AAA um, that's, that's going to be helpful in that capacity. So um, I'm with you. Uh, I, I would have liked to have seen a, a little more of an investment here. However, after watching them jump through the hoops, um, you know, shift money around on Madison Bumgarner, uh, you know, uh, need to make sure they get back uh, one and a half million dollars in the Starling Marte trade to help, you know, presumably pay down uh, what they owe him in 2020 uh, and having to watch like Matt Andres go because you're you're looking to shave a little cash. Um, I don't think the money was necessarily there to spend. And I think they've spent it. You know, I prefer Starling Marte at this point, probably. Um, but I do think there's room to improve here. And one of the places that I, I kind of keep going is, you know, there really is this surplus of, of, of starting pitching. I know we haven't talked about the rotation yet, um, but there are some guys there uh, who have, you know, that, that will likely start the year in the upper minors, but are on the 40 man roster, the, the Alex Youngs, the Duplantiers, the Taylor Clarks, et cetera. Um, you know, do, do one of those guys maybe run with a bullpen role? Mm. Uh, does the bullpen role seem to fit them well? Um, that's kind of what I'm, you know, maybe they can find some sort of, uh, internal bump, 
by uh, you know dipping into that starting pitching depth and uh, shifting it to the bullpen. Let's go ahead and jump into the starting rotation. As you alluded to, there's a lot of names at play here. Probably probably six right now that I think are probably at, at the forefront of our minds. Uh, those being Zach Gallen, uh, Luke Weaver. You've got Robbie Ray, Madison Bumgarner, Mike Leake, and Merrill Kelly. I think those are probably the six that are most likely uh, to make the starting rotation as of this moment. Here, this is an interesting one for the Diamondbacks from the standpoint of this offseason. I don't think people were expecting them to go after a Madison Bumgarner type, uh, but things things worked out, and the Diamondbacks uh, were able to get him to take $6 million for 2020 uh, to enable them to go out and still improve their team, and it looks like that money wound up bringing Starling Marte uh, over to the Diamondbacks in return. Um, but this is this is an interesting, a very interesting group and an intriguing group. I think it's not it's not difficult to see this group being a very middling starting rotation, but it's also not that hard to imagine this group really being one of the better rotations in the league. Zach Gallen flashed some some very high level potential last season. Luke Weaver has all sorts of injury questions still surrounding him from my standpoint after the whole forearm issue last season, potentially needing Tommy John. Um, I think he'll be a really interesting guy to watch because he was actually really, really good last year when he pitched. Robbie Ray, we always know the ceiling is there. Madison Bumgarner, you figure to at least get 200 innings of, of quality baseball. And then Merrill Kelly and Mike Leake, of course, at the back end. Uh, both pretty solid options for for a number five starting rotate, or starting pitcher. Looking at this list up and down, Jeff, there, I think there's all sorts of intrigue on this in this group and I think probably more than any other aspect of the team I think whether the Diamondbacks are able to push their way into the playoff conversation this year probably hinges on how good this group really is yeah I think one of the interesting things if you look at this team you know and you look at the rotation that they have um you know come the end of the 2018 season so if we we wind the tape back a bit Madison Bumgarner Mike Leake Zach Gallen, Luke Weaver, uh, those four guys were not those. Those were not Diamondbacks. Just you know, uh, you know, fifteen, sixteen months ago. So there's been <laughs> a lot of turnover in the rotation. Yeah. Um, overall, I mean, again, kind of like a kind of like the the lineup that we discussed. You know, like the day in day out lineup. I, I think there's there's good depth here. Um, there's again value kind of in the aggregate that you're not say you're you're not throwing away starts on your fifth starter um you know there's really like every one of these guys will give them a chance to win every every time out and if you're a team looking to compete you have to have that um the one thing that you know that might work against them you know a straight swap of madison bumgarner for zach granke it's probably a step backwards yeah um but a full season of Zach Gallen could help mitigate that. Um, health for Luke Weaver could help mitigate that. So, you know, you can look at it a couple different ways. Um, but overall, it's, it still feels like a strength of the team. Let's move on from there to now that we've, you know, we've gone through all the different categories of this Diamondbacks club. I think in, in every category, I think we feel pretty good about their improvements, but certainly I don't, I don't think they blew us away necessarily in any of those categories. Jeff, let's look on the whole. How much better do you think the Diamondbacks are in 2020? I think for 2020, we can look at the, we can look at the lineup and acknowledge that it's improved. The position player group has improved. 
Um, especially if they're able to add that maybe that righty bench bat. I, I think they're I think they're really in a good spot there. Um, the bullpen has taken that you know probably small step forward, but a step forward nonetheless. Um, and the rotation, eh, you know, probably holding steady if things go well. Uh, be maybe hard to see it you know necessarily improving in a in a major capacity. Um, when you add all that up, I mean, this is a team that won 85 games last year. I think this kind of puts them right back in that conversation. But I also think that, uh, you know, 85, 84, 85 wins is sort of where the conversation starts. That's where they ended up last year. But when we entered the season, we thought they were a 79, 80, 81, 82 win team. Mm. And they ended up sort of, you know, pushing forward, pushing beyond to get to that 85 win mark. If this team starts the year projected as maybe an 84, 85 win team, and maybe that's maybe that's a win or two heavy, but if we think that's kind of where they start, are they able to push into 89, 90 wins? Are they able to make a bullpen move, you know, uh, midseason? Um, so if some of those things happen, um, I could really see this team and, and really health dependent. Uh, but if they stay healthy, have that flexibility, are able to make a move or two in season. Uh, I, I really think this is a team that's going to be in the thick of the the wild card conversation probably all year long, um, instead of us wondering when they were going to quit playing 500 baseball. This is a team that could probably outpace the 500 mark, you know, pretty early in the season, and hopefully hold the little lead on that mark uh, throughout the year. So, I do think they're better. I don't think they're remarkably better. Uh, you know, give them an extra win or two, maybe three. Um, they might be that much better, but I'm not sure I'd go as far as to say they're, you know, five, eight, ten wins better than they were a year ago. Yeah, yeah, no, I think I'm, I think I'm with you on that. And and of course this this conversation would be moot if we did not consider, you know, who the Diamondbacks are up against in terms of competition. Yeah. We'll start, we'll start locally. We'll start in the division. Uh, this might be a, a a pipe dream to really think about the Diamondbacks overtaking the Dodgers in the National League West division. I personally think that's a little bit far-fetched, um, but also I I wouldn't necessarily rule that completely out. I think last season we looked at, at those two teams and we're like, okay, we're, you know, you're kind of being ridiculous if you're trying to make the case that the Diamondbacks are going to overtake the Dodgers. And I still think it's it's certainly unlikely and, and, and pretty far-fetched to think that coming into this season. But I think it's it's a lot more realistic than than it was a year ago at at the very least. The Dodgers really did not do much of anything this offseason. They went out, they got a few pitchers on low incentive base deals. They got Jimmy Nelson, they brought back uh they brought back Alex Wood. Um, but they really didn't do anything incredibly notable to improve their club. The most notable thing that probably happened for them this offseason was the loss of Hyunjin Ryu, who was, you know, a Cy Young in the Cy Young conversation last season. So I think this Dodgers team probably took a bit of a step back. I think the Diamondbacks took a bit of a step forward. Whether or not that really puts these two teams in the same category uh, remains to be seen. But I, I think at the very least, Jeff, I think the Diamondbacks could maybe sneak in the division conversation at least for the first several months of the season. Yeah, I think so. I think they're going to be right there, uh, right there in the thick of that conversation probably all year long. Um 
running down the Dodgers, you're going to need a lot of things to break right. And, and, and by that, I mean you're going to need a lot of things to go right for the Diamondbacks and to go wrong for the Dodgers at the same time. <laughs> That's a lot to ask for. Yeah. Um, so let's just narrow our focus a little bit. Um, you know, the Giants, for whatever reason, hung around and were kind of stingy last year. Uh, but they're probably the bottom dweller in the division. Um, you know, or maybe the Rockies because they have done absolutely nothing this winter. And uh, I don't know what's going on over there. Um, <laughs> the Padres are the one team that, you know, seemed to creep up and, and be a little scary. Uh, they also finished 70 and 92 last year, which just seems insane for a team that frankly has quite a bit of talent. Um, they were bitten severely by injuries. Yeah. But a full season of, of you know, Fernando Tatis Jr., um, this Manny Machado play like a five-win player all of a sudden. Um, more innings from Chris Paddock, etc. Mackenzie Gore maybe comes up. Um, the Padres are probably the team that the Diamondbacks are the most worried about in 2020 as far as the, the NL West is concerned. That's so strange to hear the San Diego Padres as being, you know, a, a, just a, a team of concern. It, it feels like it's been, <laughs> it feels like it's been a, a hot minute since that's been the case out in the NL West. But I agree with you. I think the Rockies and the Giants, those teams both seem to be trending downward. Um, so, yeah, I think if anything, it's it's probably the, the Padres that are posing the threat. But if anything, I, I, I would say that the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers are probably probably closer together than either of those teams is to, to any of those bottom three. Um, moving on from the divisional outlook, let's face it, the Diamondbacks are probably, as we said, probably not going to win this NL West division, and most likely their route to the playoffs will once again come via the wild card. And after the deal went down with Starling Marte, I began to wonder to myself, maybe the Diamondbacks, for once, are actually going to be favored in that wild card race. Like, maybe maybe for, for the first time in a long time, People are going to still see the Dodgers as ahead of the Diamondbacks, but they're still going to think the Diamondbacks have a good chance to make the playoffs. And the more that I that I looked into these things, I, I grew a little bit more doubtful. I think there's too many teams in the National League that, that pose uh, interesting problems for a team like the Diamondbacks. I think the NL East in particular is interesting with probably four out of those five teams, everyone but yeah. the Marlins, basically. All of those teams have a, have a genuine shot. You look at the NL Central, uh, the Cincinnati Reds last season were a fourth-place finisher, but they've done quite a bit this offseason. Uh, of course, recently just getting Nick Castellanos. You're probably looking at all four teams except for the Pirates being at least somewhat in the conversation. I think the Diamondbacks have a, have a good shot. I think they're certainly going to be in there, but I'm not yet convinced that they're better than you know the, the Braves or the Nationals or the Mets or the Phillies, I think any of those teams, the Brewers, of course, with Christian Yelich are always going to be a threat. The Cubs haven't done much, but I think they're always at least in the conversation. I'm not really comfortable putting the Diamondbacks as favorites in that in that wildcard race. Yeah, I don't know if I am either. I think one of the few things that, that might really work for them sort of in this big picture view is that the NL West, despite you know, being a very competitive division over the last couple of seasons, it's probably the least competitive of these th- of these three. True, true. Lots um, of games with the Giants and and the Rockies and the Padres will will probably help the Diamondbacks a lot. Yeah, exactly. So they're really going to have to like own the bottom of the division. I know we, you and I were speaking about this the other day, but that's going to be the place where where they're going to have to sort of flex their muscle. Um, 
you know, while the Cardinals and Brewers and Cubs and Reds are beating up on each other, um, the Diamondbacks need to be, you know, nearly sweeping San Francisco, nearly sweeping Colorado in their, in their season series. I mean, uh, it's, it's obviously you're not going to sweep them for the entire season, but, but <laughs> being dominant over those lower teams, that's one place they could probably find a little bit of a cushion because having a winning record against the Dodgers is going to be very, very difficult. Yeah. And you probably expect them to play about 500 ball against San Diego. So they're going to have to do really well um, within within the division against those bottom dwellers and then just, you know, be consistent, um, you know, when they do play the Marlins, when they do play the Pirates. I mean, they've got to win the winnable games because this thing is going to be a mess. Uh, you're right. There are a lot of contenders. There's a long ways to go. Um, you know, and, and how that all sort of shapes up. But right now I see a lot of, I see a lot of names in the hat when we talk about the wild card. Yeah. Looking at the numbers from last season, the diamondbacks in the division were 38 and 38 going forward. I think you're absolutely right. There's no way the diamondbacks are going to be able to come out of the national league as a playoff team. If they don't dominate in that division, you're probably looking at having to be around 10 games over the 500 mark, uh, in the division in order to really be able to make that push. Uh, moving on from here, Jeff, I know we have some questions that we're left with. It's this Diamondbacks offseason is probably uh, has probably come to a close in terms of the moves. It, it might be possible they pick up, a you know, maybe a veteran for the bench, maybe a guy for the bullpen. But I think both of those things seem pretty unlikely from the numbers that, that we've been looking at. All of the money available seems to have been spent at this point. And I think this is probably the moment where this this team, this group that they have right now is probably going to be their team moving into opening day in the beginning of the season. For me, Jeff, I'm going to start with a question here that I think is one of the biggest ones uh, facing this team this season. And it's really about one in particular player. I want to know if Cattell Marte is insanely good like he was last season. Because you saw a guy, you saw a guy go from being a very nice player. He was roughly a three-win player for the Diamondbacks in the couple years prior. He was, you know, developing camaraderie with fans. I think a lot of people liked watching Cattell Marte play. And then came 2019 when he went completely off and put himself in the MVP conversation out of nowhere. This Diamondbacks roster is is very very balanced as we've talked about before. All of these guys can hit. They've got a lot of average or better hitters. But if Cattell Marte is not the MVP candidate that we saw last year, I think that position player group takes a significant step back, and it would be really hard for the Diamondbacks to really put themselves in the thick of the playoff conversations without really any offensive superstar. And Cattell Marte, from my standpoint, really has to be that guy this season. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's the most well-positioned to take that role. Um, it, it, ha- it kind of has to be him unless someone else is going to, you know, c- come out like he did a year ago and just, you know, blow our minds. It, it's kind of <laughs> gotta be him. Um, and they're going to need that. I mean, depth is great. Um, but there are moments when you really need someone to help, um, you know, just, just really, you know, fire up chase field, um, you know, and lead the offense and be that guy in that moment that everyone looks at and goes, yeah, he's got this. Um, they had that for a long time with Paul Goldschmidt. Uh, Cattell Marte did a hell of a job, you know, carrying the torch last season. You know, they're going to need him to kind of do it again. So, um, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think that's I think that's uh, that's a big a big point because man, if he if he regresses in some major way, it's a big blow to them. 
I'm going to move on to my second question. Then, Jeff, I'll pitch it over to you. I think you have a couple questions as well. I want to know how good is this bullpen? I think that's a big, big question moving forward here into this 2020 season. We've talked about it a little bit already, um, but just just to summarize that point, I think this bullpen has the the appearance of something that would hold a potentially playoff-bound Diamondbacks team back just a little bit. I think this bullpen is probably not going to be a disaster, but I really don't think that they have the late inning options that a lot of the other good contending teams in the National League are going to have. I don't know if you can really count on Archie Bradley. I don't know who you're going to count on after you've used Andrew Chafin already in the game. I'm not sure how good Junior Guerra and, and Hector Rondon truly are. I think they're upgrades, but but they're certainly not significantly so. This bullpen is probably the weakest link for this Diamondbacks team, and we've seen it in years past. There, There is nothing more frustrating than a team that is built to succeed but doesn't have the bullpen to get them there, and that is that is one of my biggest concerns for this 2020 team. Yeah, I mean, Archie Bradley had a good season last year, but if there was a year for him to really take a big step forward, this yeah. would probably be it. Yeah. Um, this is this is the time. I mean, it's the, the closer role. I mean, I, I know we're not going to hear a declaration uh, here at the end of January about who the closer is for sure. But not from um, Tori Lovello, you won't. <laughs> no, we won't. So, but I, but I feel pretty comfortable. I'm writing, uh, you know, not in pen, but in in a, a sturdy pencil. Uh, Archie Bradley's name into the closer role, and, and he really just needs to own it. I mean, everyone knows it's it's really his job to lose, and he needs to take it and run with it. That would be a big help. Um, again, there is sort of a nice little like like uh, chunk of depth there in Guerra, Chafin, Rondon, even a, a Kevin Ginkle um, in there. But uh, how dependable are those guys night in and night out? Yeah, a little a little remains to be seen. I, I really do trust Andrew Chapin. I think you can put him in just about anywhere and you know, he'll come in and do his job. And part of the other, you know, part of maybe what's a little unsettling is that we haven't seen Guerra and Rondon really pitch much. Yeah. Uh, just because they've been with other teams. So I'm taking uh, like you, I'm taking kind of a wait and see approach uh, when it comes to the bullpen. Um, my biggest question that I had is just and I think that I think that it will will ultimately impact the team, you know, whichever way it breaks. Um, is what do they get from Luke Weaver? Because Luke Weaver mm. a year ago, while he only threw sixty four innings, was on pace to to be a very very good pitcher, uh, one of the better pitchers in the National League. Um, he had taken that step forward, um, you know, put some of maybe the doubts behind him. Uh, and 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 really really emerged as like you know a very solid middle of the rotation arm with with potential for more, um, but his season was cut short. Uh, you mentioned the forearm tightness, uh, some of the scare around his elbow. We know forearm tightness is you know typically a a precursor or a word that that tends to end up being tied to Tommy John surgery. Um, yet he didn't have it, and it looks like they've tried to rehab it. So. What do they get out of him? You know, can they get 120, 130 innings out of him? Um, you know, we were noting before the show that you know, he's never really thrown you know a, a ton of innings in a single season. Uh, it's always been kind of in the 130, 140 mark. Uh, this is looks like it'll be another year where they have to kind of uh, stretch him out and build those innings back. Um, can he stay healthy enough to undergo that process? 
and how much can they get out of him? Because if they lose Luke Weaver early, um, you know, and you have to you have to transition someone like like a Merrill Kelly back to the rotation or mm. uh, John Duplantier or, or roll with something you're a little less comfortable with. Um, you know, that's a, that's, that's a big blow. So uh, I'm going to be watching the Luke Weaver situation very closely this spring. Yeah. We were talking before the show, looking at his numbers last season, those 64 innings. I mean, man, it was only 64 innings and it was over 12 starts. He was only averaging around, you know, a little over five innings per start when he was out there. But he really found his stride. You look at all of the different numbers. He really didn't have any weaknesses. Uh, His strikeout numbers were way up. His walk total was way down. He only had 14 walks over 64 in a third innings. He didn't give up that much hard contact. The home runs weren't a problem for him like they were, uh, of course, for for much of Major League Baseball last season. He's a a really complete pitcher. And I think, you, you know, you look back at the Paul Goldschmidt trade, Obviously, Carson Kelly is exciting in his own right, but Luke Weaver was certainly, you know, a, a central part of that deal. And if things go south for him from an injury standpoint, it's probably going to be a while. You know, you're you're probably not going to lose Luke Weaver if he goes down for you know a, a few weeks and then he'll be back. Luke Weaver, because of you know the el- the forearm tightness and the elbow issues that have been well documented. It's possible you could just kind of lose Luke Weaver for the season and maybe part of next season. That would be a huge blow for this team, not only in 2020, but of course, you know, beyond that and in terms of how good he could be when he came back from something like that. Yeah, absolutely. He's kind of a a pivotal guy, no matter which way it goes, either plus or minus. Um, Mm. And I'll get to my I'll get to my last question. And that was, you know, what does the team do with with Jake Lamb? Um, he is kind of marooned on the bench. It looks like here, um, you know, Eduardo Escobar, you know, has really found a nice stride, uh, in his, you know, late twenties, early thirties. Um, and it's going to be awfully difficult to make the case that Jake Lamb should be playing third base over Eduardo Escobar. Um, Escobar's a switch hitter. So there's really, it's, it's just a difficult like platoon situation. Um, so, I don't know Lamb's role at third. And then at first base, you know, Christian Walker, you know, if you look at his season as a whole last year, it looks encouraging. Um, the other part of that is that we we know that he was really, really hot and really, really cold. And yeah. so he had some, some pretty tough streaks. Um, and so I don't know how much room there is for him to even play first base, uh, Jake Lamb to play first base. And on top of that, I mean – you know, being left-handed, there are there are already some some left-handed bats in the lineup. Um, I, I just don't really know the fit for him. He's a, a below-average defender at third, so he's not like a defensive replacement. Um, and you know, just about nobody in baseball fielded first base like Christian Walker did last year. So hmm. um, I just don't know Jake Lamb's role. I I, I don't quite understand it. Um, in our off-season plan, I, I you know we did not advocate for bringing him back. Um, when they decided to tender him a contract through arbitration, I assumed they did so with the confidence that either A, they could work him into the lineup more consistently, or B, um, there would be enough demand for his services that they could move his uh, you know, $5 million or so uh, pretty easily. But at this point, you know, it's, it's kind of looking like uh, he's taking up a spot on the roster and doesn't have a clear fit. So, um, maybe they hold on to him through the spring and just kind of hope everyone, you know, stays healthy or keep him for insurance. But 
Um, to me, he's just an odd fit, and and I don't really know what they end up doing with him. I mean, if, if it were me, I would lean towards trade, but you know, I'm not having those phone calls, so I don't know how that's going. Yeah, I agree with you. I think uh, we were we were talking earlier today about how you know maybe that that five million dollars, you know, in this Diamondbacks payroll situation, things seem to be pretty tight. Five million dollars is is a relatively significant amount of money. For, for a team like this, you know, a couple of the moves the Diamondbacks have made this offseason, the Stephen Vogt move, the Rondon move, the Guerra move, all of those were under $5 million. So it's not like that's such a small amount of money that the Diamondbacks couldn't have just non-tendered him and decided to, you know, use that $5 million on, on a different player on the market. I think it's a, it's a really, really interesting situation with Jake Lamb. I certainly wish him all the best. We've seen him be a really good player in the, yeah. in the past. He, you know, he was in all-star conversations yeah. not that long ago, which is hard to, to really think about now. But he's he's been really good over his career, and, and I think he's going to be a key part of this Diamondbacks bench when they need you know a, a left-handed hitter late in the game if you've got you know, a right-handed closer on the mound for the for the opposing team or whatever that situation may be, he might get some of those big uh, a late game at bats, and, and I think it'll be really interesting to see. You know, which Jake Lamb do we get? Do we get the Jake Lamb who you know still has some some shoulder issues, who's still struggling with injuries, or do we get more of the Jake Lamb that we saw a few years ago? Right. No, absolutely true, and that's the one last piece I'll say, and I kick it back, but just. You know, they have a better feel for his health and, you know, how any of those, you know, shoulder issues and or, you know, swing issues that held him back. So maybe they have a little more confidence internally than we do. And, uh, mm. you know, maybe that explains the uh, the decision to hang on to him. Last thing before we say goodbye here in the 17th episode of the Rattle podcast. Jeff, we talked about this briefly earlier. What would happen if the Diamondbacks ownership group decided that they really wanted to spend money on this baseball team. It, it kind of feels, it, it really has felt like this Diamondbacks team has been stuck at around this, you know, 110 to $120 million range for really quite a while now. And, and you certainly don't see teams across the league, you know, we're, we're not expecting a, you know, a $10 million increase or anything like that on an annual basis. Teams generally, you know, raise their payroll more gradually. But it really feels like Mike Hazen is just been really squeezed here in his time in Arizona. And after we've gotten to see just how good this guy is at building a team, you know, with 110 or 120 million dollars, it really has to make you wonder what would the Diamondbacks be if Mike Hazen had 140, 145, 150 million dollars in his pocket? Mike Hazen at the helm of this team. I can't even really begin to imagine how good the Diamondbacks could be if Mike Hazen had that kind of capital in his grasp. Yeah, I agree. It's it's an interesting question. I mean, there's there's kind of the like the opening day payroll figure, right? Um, which we've seen kind of stuck in this, you know, one ten, and then it sort of dipped for a few years, but then you know got back to you know right around you know one twenty five, one thirty in twenty eighteen, and then was you know kind of one twenty to one twenty five in twenty nineteen. Um, sort of feels like that's about where they're at again. Um, the end of the year figures can, can vary a little bit, but, um, I do just think about, you know, uh, you know, from, from entering the off season standpoint, if, if Hazen had a little more rope to work with, um, it's intriguing. Uh, it's intriguing to think about, you know, some of the bullpen options that all of a sudden become attainable. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's intriguing to think about, you know, some of the upgrades that you could potentially go after, um, even on the trade market, thinking about contracts that come back um, or, or through free agency um, that all of a sudden are in the conversation. And so mm. um, it's, it's, it's tough to, uh, you know, you can see, you know, if we read between the lines, we look at how deals are structured. Um, we look at comments closely. You can kind of kind of tell, like, uh, Mike Hazen's, like, making it work, right? Um, you know, he's, he's finding his way through it. Uh, but, you know, I think, uh, you know, he's already, at least in my eyes, kind of proven himself. You know, maybe he needs another year of, of doing that for ownership's sake. It is really easy to spend someone else's money. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, at some point, does he earn enough confidence that, that they start giving him a little bit more? And, you know, that's perhaps tied to, you know, internal revenue figures or, or, you know, gate attendance and things like that. I'm not sure. So, um, but it does, it does leave us kind of asking what if, Hmm. and man, uh, trust me, I've done it. Uh, you can go around in circles on that one. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to this 17th edition of the rattle podcast. We really appreciate you following our work here at the rattle If you have not already, be sure to give us a follow on Twitter. You can find our uh, group page uh, at the Rattle AZ on Twitter. You can find me personally at at Jesse and Friedman. You can find Jeff at at OutfieldGrass24. Be sure to connect with us on Twitter. We would love to hear what you think of this episode. Uh, And also check out our website. You can find our content at www.therattle.net where we have new written pieces coming out every week or so we'd also love to hear your feedback on that as well ladies and gentlemen once again thank you so much for listening that's all that we have for today and we'll be back soon once again to talk about the 2020 arizona diamondbacks